Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs provides grazing management tips to maintain grass in the diet of the dairy cow this autumn, while also keeping one eye on the first rotation of 2022. Identifying those dry paddocks with good grazing infrastructure to be the first paddocks grazed in February. Stuart also makes recommendations on appropriate fertilizer rates based on average farm cover. Okay, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's webinar. Um, today, I'm going to talk a little bit about fertilizer strategy for the next couple of weeks, I suppose, uh, because it's become a bit contentious uh, at um, discussion groups and so forth in the last few days. And then I'm going to probably something that was brought out last year by the Grass 10 team. I'm just going to take a look at it. I think it's a timely um, time to take a look at it rather than looking at it when we're actually starting to close. It's just a bit of a strategy around how you plan to close. And I have an example uh, from a farmer that we were with during the course of the week there in how he's planning to or what way he's targeting um, closing fields on his farm in order to have access and available grazing to him in the spring of next year. So it might sound a bit early to be talking about, but there's a bit of planning required for it. Uh, won't be too long, I suppose, today, so um, we'll get started. Uh, I'm just going to share a presentation here, just a couple of slides, just to, uh, I suppose, reinforce a few points and so forth as we're talking about the fertilizer, and then obviously to give you a visual, a visual aid in relation to that strategy around grazing. Okay, so I'll just share here now one second. So late season fertilizer nitrogen and uh, planning for the spring grazing um, is basically what we're going to cover today. So if you're involved in grass 10 groups um, around the country, the chances are you've seen this board as John was using it, or John Maher was using it, and John Douglas and Joseph Dunphy will have been using it as well um, at the groups that they've been doing throughout the course of the year, I would imagine. So basically what I'm showing you here is the uh, ability to, or the fertilizer required to um, <clears throat> basically the soil fertility that's required to deliver 14 ton of grass dry matter per hectare. And uh, people often ask the question, I suppose, oh, if people are growing 15 or 16 ton, do they need more fertilizer? And that's not necessarily the case. So uh, we have people, and as I said to you last week, uh, I was going to do one of the Grassland Farmer of the Year walks last week uh, with John Maher and some of the people in, in the West Cork unit um, following last week's webinar. And John Galvin, that farmer he's referenced in the Grass 10 newsletter this week, uh, is growing 15 tonne with less than uh, um, 200 units of nitrogen. And this is reflective of total nitrogen requirements. So slurry and uh, chemical nitrogen are included here. So I suppose what I'd like to point out to people here is, um, and, and this is units per acre normally, we, we have a lot of these tables can be in, in uh, kgs per hectare, but this is actually in units per acre. Uh, so what we're trying to show you here, or what I'm trying to get, get across to people here, I suppose, is the quantity of nitrogen that's being applied here through the latter half of the year in particular um, is a significant in influencer as to whether you're going to come in under this 200 units or over this 200 units and i suppose the reason i'm talking about this today is that there's a consultation document out there at the moment in relation to the nitrates derogation for 2022 onwards and there's a lot of talk about a 10 percent cut in nitrogen maybe even a 15 percent cut depending on critical source areas and um epa 
decisions around loads on in certain catchments and so forth. And people are getting very um, excited maybe around the whole reduction in nitrogen application that's going to be allowed. And I'm not saying that it isn't something that's worth getting concerned about, but I would, what I would be of the opinion of is uh, that there's probably a, bit, a good, nice bit of nitrogen being used inefficiently throughout the course of the year. I'm not saying it's been wasted uh, in, you know, it's not intentionally been thrown out for to have an, a negative impact, but there's nitrogen being used on farms currently that probably isn't giving the return that uh, it would justify it. And as the cost of this goes up, obviously it becomes, um, well, grass is always going to be the cheaper feed or for, should be for a long time anyway, unless fertilizer goes bananas altogether. Um, it, we just have to be a lot smarter. And I think just right now, there's a lot of debate about the units of nitrogen that should be sprayed now because closing date is coming up on the 14th. Should be familiar at this stage that the, the suggestion is that the application will say taking place today, today being the 2nd of September, is going to give you more grass because you should get a higher growth rate at the early part of September, then spreading on the 14th. And then there's a big debate around the units of nitrogen that should be spread. With anything from 20, as you can see here, highlighted uh, um, by the mouse here, hopefully, um, up to 40 being talked about at the moment um, at farm level. So I suppose what concerns me in relation to the 40 in particular is that uh, that's a fifth of the nitrogen for the entire year being applied in that last uh, application of the season. And it's also been applied when growth rates are okay, but not particularly superb, I suppose, in reality. And there's a perception that we're spreading this in order to grow grass because there'll be no nitrogen available basically from the 15th of September onwards. Whereas in reality, as we currently speak, and again, it's in that consultation document that there's a suggestion that we might have to have all the slurry spread by the 14th or by the, on the 14th of September um, from 2022 on. As that's a consultation document. It isn't set in stone as yet. And there's also dairy washings that are going to be available on farm and they will have the capacity to deliver some nitrogen as well. And as, as we currently stand, they can be spread throughout the, the close period, we'll say, um, once they're being collected into separate soil water tank and you have 15 days storage or maybe 10 days storage if you're in the old, if you haven't had to build any new tanks in the past, in the intervening period since the 15 day rule came in. So I suppose it's important to point out that, let's say taking John Galvin as an example, growing 15 tonne, there are farms that are applying maybe similar levels of nitrogen to what John is and maybe higher levels and not growing 14 tonne, not growing 15 tonne, maybe only growing uh, 11 or 12 tonnes. So lots of nitrogen going out, but not actually getting the benefit of it because the level of management around the grazing isn't as good to we'd say, capture all that nitrogen, get those extra grazings. And as a result, the, the nitrogen isn't being efficiently used. So I suppose the, the grass drives the utilization requirements of N, P and K. Um, and it's important that we're trying to get that grass right in order to use it. Uh, to and then the nitrogen application strategy kind of needs to tie in with that. So I suppose the concern I have is that, uh, as I said, that there's people talking about putting out 40 units of nitrogen at the moment uh, in order to compensate for the fact that they're not going to be able to apply nitrogen from the 14th of September. And in reality, I don't think there's any justification for that. You can see that if you've been applying nitrogen, and I know we've advocated to people to kind of hold off on nitrogen there throughout the dry spells, and maybe people might feel that they're slightly behind and so forth. You have to also bear in mind that as you travel the country, 
uh, in the last week, maybe fortnight since we got the, the, the rain following that dry spell, that the whole country seems to have taken a, a, a green tinge has come into it. And that's background nitrogen being released by microbial breakdown of nitrogen or, um, in the soil. And that comes about by re-wetting, basically. So the soil had dried out, microbes don't operate without the water, and then once the water comes, they start active, to activate again and start um, breaking down nitrogen and making it available. So background nitrogen comes into, into play again. So there's, a, there's studies there that would suggest that there's a half unit a day being contributed from the soil. So if we put that over the month of September, that says that there's 15 units of nitrogen going to come from the soil for the month of September. And if we look at John's uh, chart here in relation to the application rates, and we take it at 20 units here, 20 to 25 units, in my opinion, is going to be more than adequate in order to grow grass. Um, the other side of it is, I suppose, we're going to see people putting out a lot of nitrogen uh, at this stage, or potentially considering putting out a lot of nitrogen at this stage, and growing a lot of grass that they may not actually be able to utilize later in the season as well. So we need to just be smart about our nitrogen applications in terms of we're very, we need to be very conscious of the risk of nitrogen uh, getting into water courses and so forth as well. But the weather is quite good, obviously, at the moment, so the risk of that is quite is limited because we don't have uh, rain or significant quantities of moisture at the moment that are going to carry fertilizer overland into streams and rivers. Um, but there is, a, there is that risk always that when rain will come, and it's expected, I think, maybe later this week or, or maybe early next week, potentially, that there's a bit of nitrogen. So there's going to be, as I said, that breakdown of nitrogen in the ground is going to start to occur. So nitrogen is going to be released in the soil. And uh, if there's too much nitrogen in that soil, it's going to be flushed or leached from the soil. And eventually that's going to end up in some water course. So either through groundwater or, basically, or potentially over overland flow, which is less likely currently, um, the risk is that it's going to end up in a stream or a river. And that's where we're running into trouble in terms of our nitrate starvation because of higher levels of nitrate, in particular down this side of the country, um, in the water courses. And that's why our nitrogen uh, fertilizer is coming under pressure. So we just need to really box clever here in relation to this. We just need to use enough in order to, to stimulate growth, I suppose, for the next while. And if you go back to kind of what can a unit a day kind of approach through the summer grow for you, it has the capacity to grow 1,500 kilos or 1,400, 1,500 kilos of grass unit at a unit a day. I don't really see the justification to move much away from that. So where, where does that pitch you? As I said, it's putting you in that region of 20 to 30 units. And again, I suppose, and I think it's probably got the, the ship has sailed in, in one sense at this stage in relation to grass covers for a lot of farms. Now, in that a uh, couple of weeks ago, we would have been saying that if you were behind on your grass cover, that you would need to apply a little bit extra fertilizer to try to boost growth a little bit more. But I just see one example, uh, David Fenley um, in County Leash, he's one of the Glambia Monitor farms, posted on Twitter last night that in, I think it was in the space of three or four weeks, his grass cover had improved from 410 and they would have been severely affected by drought a couple of weeks ago up to over 1100 I think yes up um, maybe yesterday or the day before so the justification then for putting out a lot of nitrogen now for in David's case we'd say uh, just taking him as a, an example uh, is limited because he's on target uh, so he just needs to keep the, the show on the road basically there's no justification for driving out nitrogen which is going to make heavier covers heavier maybe make it more difficult to graze it 
Now, again, that's a good dry farm, so the potential to graze on would be there. But uh, at the same time, he's going to be great plodding through heavy, heavy covers. And it came up in the webinar with John Douglas a couple of weeks ago that a lot of you just don't like handling those heavy covers in the autumn. So then you just have to ask yourself the question, is it justified to go out with 30, 40 units of nitrogen in the next couple of days in order to create that scenario for yourself? When the chances are that going with 20 or 25 units is going to create enough nitrogen or provide enough nitrogen to keep your show on the road. And again, as I said, you're going to have the scope for maybe a little bit of slurry, which there probably isn't a huge amount on farms at this stage, apart from what will be created over the next number of weeks, maybe in um, collecting yards and so forth. And then dairy washing subsequently as well, if you're really, which will have to be sprayed, obviously, in a lot of cases. Um, to, to provide the nitrogen that's needed. So I suppose the message that I want to get out there today is that just be, just be cautious with the quantities of nitrogen that you're applying over the next couple of days. Uh, again, I suppose the emphasis would be, and the, this can vary from year to year but, uh, in, in terms of growth during the, the first two weeks of September, but a very noticeable change in temperature there on Tuesday, I would feel it got a lot cooler. So growth rates are definitely dropping back and LED's figures would suggest that. I think it's somewhere in the region of maybe five to 10 kilos of, of dry matter drop in growth rates compared to last week, um, predicted for the coming week. Still better probably than what our normal average growth rate would be at this stage of the year. But factor in that, that that's picking up on a bit of background nitrogen that maybe that's been a little bit later coming on stream this year because it was drier into the early part of August than normal, I suppose. Um, when we'd expect background nitrogen really to start to kick in in that late, uh, in that August period. So don't spread nitrogen for the sake of spreading it. One, it's expensive. Two, there's an environmental risk associated with it. And three, we need to start learning to live with less of it potentially. And then the final point around it is, I suppose, be conscious of the buffer zones. And that's true of slurry as well, because there's scope to use slurry here as well straight away and maybe reduce chemical nitrogen um, as, uh, that people are going to apply as well as a result of it. But we need to be conscious that we need to be careful with the amount that we're applying, be that fertilizer or slurry, and we need to be conscious of the buffer zone. So just as a reminder of the buffer zone, it's five meters away from um, the top of the bank of any water course or stream or anything like that um, with slurry, two meters with fertilizer. And as we move into October, we'll probably cover it again later on uh, before we get to that phase. But in the 1st of October to the 14th of October window, that buffer zone for slurry is going to double to 10 metres. So very broadly speaking, you can say, unless you're a very small person, that every step is going to be roughly in, the, in or around a metre. Um, so you need to be staying 10 metres away from the top of the bank when you're applying slurry uh, once we hit the 1st of October. And look, at, in, in light of the consultation programme that's out there, so it's open until the 20th of September at the moment with the department in relation to nitrate sterigation. There's a lot of things that we probably haven't been aware enough of um, or conscious enough of in the last uh, iterations of the nitrates action plan, such as buffer zones and maybe more conscious use of nitrogen fertilizer. And that's probably contributing to putting us in the position where we are at the moment where be fair, Jack Nolan is probably under pressure going out to Europe trying to justify our um, nitrates derogation being granted again. And for all of us that are involved in, in um, dairy farming in particular, I suppose, and to a certain extent, some uh, beef farmers that are highly stocked as well, that's a very important uh, element of farming in Ireland. 
seven to 10,000, I think potentially, I think it's maybe 7,000 people involved with targets and maybe other people then through private consultants and so forth are availing of the derogation or maybe farming uh, over the 170. So it's a very important thing that uh, Jack, when he does go to Europe uh, later in the year, he's able to acquire the um, derogation to be allowed to proceed from 2022 for probably an, another four year period. And we're going to have to deliver savings, I suppose, our uh, adjustments in relation to nitrogen applications and so forth in the next uh, period for definite. And we just need to be conscious that we need to cut back on the nitrogen applications that we're using. And I think to be fair to people that are tuned in and farmers uh, as a whole, there has been a, a higher level of embracing less nitrogen throughout the course of the summer. So if we've been happy to spread less during the course of the summer, I don't think there's a reason for to suddenly splurge out with nitrogen at this period here. So just as I said, 2025 units uh, is 30 at the very max, I suppose, if you're behind on, on cover. And Mike Egan would have been talking to Emily Louise on um, Emma Louise's podcast there during, uh, at the early part of this week in relation to some farms that are behind cover uh, still. So maybe there is justification for them in light of the good growth rate that is there relative to normal to go with 30 units. But in re, uh, the vast majority of farms probably should be in the region of 20 to 25 units. And I suppose for those that are recording their nitrogen applications on pasture base, on fertilizer tracking um, part of, of pasture base, have a look, see what kind of level of units have you applied to, to your paddocks and so forth uh, currently. And in reality, if you're very, very close to the 200 or if, if you've hit the 200, have to question is there justification to apply any further nitrogen or chemical nitrogen in particular to um, those over the next number of days okay so we'll move on from that i suppose in terms of the 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 um, strategy around grazing this is a, a, a schematic diagram that the lads in grass 10 produced last year and i definitely got very positive feedback from people on the ground in relation to uh, trying to explain what we've I suppose we've been trying to explain this in words with a number of years, uh, but this is um, kind of a more visual aspect and the next slide is even more visual again, I suppose. So for the autumn rotation plan and how that ties in with the spring rotation plan, this is showing you what, try, how you try to pick your paddocks. So I suppose we'll go to this, this piece here first um, and we'll, we'll start on the spring side of things. So for the first 30% that you want to be grazing in February, you want it to be drier paddocks, obviously. There's a, a bit of a discussion or a debate around whether it should be closer to the yard or not. And sometimes that can just me be around the visual, I suppose, of cows out in the paddock and cows in the sheds, being able to see one another maybe, and maybe the noise of going, feeding the cows that are in the sheds, distracting cows that are out grazing, um, from grazing, and they suddenly run towards the gap and then stand at the gap, obviously. So, so the, like I suppose closer to the yard obviously facilitates quicker in and out and so forth when you're at a very busy stage of the year. But um, I think there's probably a couple of issues around that in terms of freshly calved cows need to be settled um, not trying to return to a yard because they're looking for a calf, that kind of scenario. Um, so maybe settled in. And Joe, would have, Joe Patton would have talked about this, uh, I'd say earlier in the year where maybe taking that four to five days where cows that are freshly calved are kept in a separate, separate group within the shed. They're not let out, they're let settle down, they're, get their intakes going basically in terms of silage. And then when it does come to moving them out, they're a bit more settled in relation to this. 
So drier closer to the yard, good access, obviously, so that we can go in one gap, come out another maybe, um, and maybe not have to go in and out the same gap, obviously, multiple times, because obviously you're not going to have huge numbers in the month of February. Sheltered, obviously, so that if we have uh, cold spells or anything that they're not exposed, again, they're slightly vulnerable. And again, that re-emphasizes the um, point that Joe makes about having that transition group, I suppose, from calving to grazing. And if they're they're a little bit more hardy after four or five days because they're recovering or they're after beginning to recover from the calving process. Their intakes are up a little bit. They have a bit of silage in their stomach maybe initially when they go out that they're digesting well and that will obviously contribute to heat as well from them. And then I suppose the key thing why we're talking about this in relation to picking your paddocks to graze is the cover that it's going to be on to it. Is, is going to be on it. So 800 to 1200, so we'd say average 1000 of a cover. Cows are going out Lower intakes, only heifers only eight kilos of um, dry matter intake in their early days of post calving. Cows at 10 kgs, increasing by approximately half a kilo to a kilo uh, a week. So we obviously don't have a big demand for grass as such when we, we head out in that month of February. We're also trying to get 30% grazed. So we, if we have heavy covers, we're not going to get that 30% grazed. Recently receded, I suppose, would be a benefit in that it's going to recover quickly and, and quickest growing and recently receded tie in together. So when we, are, when we consider that, where, when should we be grazing that? Then it means that we're going to be grazing that in, later in uh, the month of October, because if we graze it in the early part of the month of October, we're, not going, we're going to have higher cover than we want on it uh, in February, okay? So what we want to graze first in the springtime or where we like to go first in the springtime will be grazing in the latter half of November or October, sorry, my apologies. And the, what we're going to graze from, we'll say Patrick's, first of March through to Patrick's Day, which will be slightly heavier covers, greater than the 1200, okay access and dry, but um, maybe further from the yard. We want to start grazing that from, we'll say the 1st of October through to the, the 20th of October. Look, closing date is going to vary from farm to farm and probably shouldn't be overly rigid. It should start to close a little bit earlier, I would think, to, in order to make sure that we have grass on the farm for the springtime, ideally. Um, and then the final 40% then is basically your awkward paddocks that are further from the yard, maybe poorer grazing infrastructure, could be older ground as well that aren't going to recover as quickly, or silage ground, obviously, which you're going to go to maybe a little bit later, um, maybe been there already, we'll say following second cut, and it's going to be later before you're going to get there again, that kind of scenario. And that basically, they tie in with one another. They're further away, you have higher numbers going out to them. You're hoping that the ground is going to be a little bit better when, by the time they get to them, so that you don't need the grazing infrastructure as much. Um, as I said, the older pasture is going to be growing a little bit slower maybe as well, so they're not going to grow as fast maybe as, as these covers here. And the silage ground as well, so you're, that you're clipping off the silage ground just before you're closing it up as well. And then I suppose it's important to point out here that the heavy farm targets for autumn should be seven to ten days earlier for the spring, seven to ten days later. So again, I'll reference in Louise's podcast with Danny Birmingham there the other day. Danny uh, is in the situation where his grazing um, in November is very limited. It's big bonus territory for him. So he's grazing his farm cover down quite significantly. Uh, allowing it to grow up then over the month of November, December, January, Feb, and more, a good bit of February potentially as well uh, to have adequate cover for him. But the vast majority of farms would say Danny's farm is quite a wet farm, um, not 
some people think that they are in heavy soil, but they're not in heavy soils relative to some of the farms that are in the heavy soils program and can box clever, I suppose, around here and maybe can be turning out a little bit earlier, maybe mid to late, Feb mid to late February as a start date. Everyone knows their own farms. This principle applies maybe just with changing of dates and so forth as well. So I suppose to put this into practice or to make it more visual, I suppose, some people look, this makes sense, I suppose. Like I've explained it pretty well there, I would hope that um, what we're trying to achieve in terms of when we're going to graze the paddocks, we're going to graze throughout the autumn uh, final rotation. But I think what really brings it to life is this. And this is an example that we did with a farmer um, earlier this week. And thanks to him for uh, providing the information for this. So you should see there up at the top here on the right hand side that what's highlighted in orange is the 30% that he would plan to graze by the 20th of October. So they're the paddocks that he's going to be grazing from the 1st of March through to the 17th of March, potentially. The green is highlighted uh, as being the ones that he wants or that he would like to be in from early February or potentially in early February when uh, cows are calved next year. And then the red, or the, sorry, the pink is 40% um, that he's going to use for the last portion of um, that opening rotation in the spring of next year. And then look, there's just a couple of paddocks there that are deemed unsuitable for cows on this farm, and he doesn't uh, include them in the rotation, so they're being, they're being excluded from that. So just to clarify it here, I suppose it's maybe it, this is in black and white, um, but this, there's fantastic infrastructure on this farm, absolutely fantastic infrastructure on this farm. Job done on it back in 2018, uh, kind of realigned. Um, there was only one kind of central roadway on it at the time, uh, and the plan was there to increase the cow numbers. Um, so the infrastructure was put in to match it. So we have uh, roadway coming here, roadway coming uh, here to um, roadways coming out to here. There's a roadway here and a roadway down here, and spur roads as well, and kind of crossing roads here. So why are we in green paddocks here? These are drier paddocks. These are drier paddocks here. There's fantastic infrastructure. These are relatively dry paddocks, but we've very good infrastructure around them. So roadways, roadway, and another roadway here, providing access to 17 and 18 as well. And we have a bit of a spur into number six here as well. So I think that this is quite good in terms of a visual, um, while, while this is, a, a, is, is good at explaining it, this brings it to life in my mind. And people should probably grab a map of their farm and sit down and think, when we come to the month of February next year, hot paddocks are likely to be grazed. Now, we're assuming that the weather is going to play ball to a certain extent here and that we're obviously ground conditions are going to be favourable to on-off grazing. And there does look, I'll acknowledge that there comes, that Februarys have come there in, in recent years in particular where it's been extremely difficult, even uh, with on-off grazing, to get grass into cows potentially. Uh, but at the same time, like I said recently as well, if we don't plan to have grass on the farm, we're not going to have it. And we need to make sure that we do try to have the grass on the farm uh, in the springtime so that when the opportunity does come, we can take advantage of it. And I suppose just to bear in mind in terms of the, 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 what it brings to, to people is that it's going to give you a very high quality um, nutritionist product that's going to feed cows much better in the springtime than it's going to do in the autumn time in terms of the value of, of, of spring, gra spring grazing over autumn grazing. So there's two aspects to it. We need to try to graze these in order to um, have them prepared so that they're in the position that we want them come, come February grazing. 
And we also need to have the discipline in November not to be tempted to necessarily go back and engraze them any of these paddocks again in order to just get a few extra days in the month of November. And one of my colleagues in the Middleton office, Fergal Mahoney, often makes a point, and it's a good, good one to bear in mind when it comes to November, that two days in November could be worth 10 days in February, basically, of, of grazing. So we have the capacity to feed the cow with silage and meal in the month of November and, and deliver similar, if not the, the same, level of solids potentially if silage quality is good. Uh, whereas when we come to the spring, no matter how good the silage quality, no matter there's only so much meal you can throw at the cow as well, uh, along with the silage. Uh, once we get out the grass, we get that lift in milk yield and we get that lift in constituents as well. So we need to plan for it. So this, as I said, is a visual aid to, and it's useful. I think people should get out this a map of their farm in the next couple of days and do this. The kind of red, amber, green kind of scenario. Now, I, uh, I highlighted these paddocks that weren't used in red, so we used pink for the, the, this aspect of it. So highlight the paddocks that you want to or want to have available to you to graze potentially in February, and then you have to go about grazing those in mid to late October in order that they'll be at the right cover. So low cover that they can graze uh, readily, um, good access, and um, relatively dry, I suppose, as well. Okay. And then the rest of the farm, then I suppose you're kind of trying to balance it out. We'd say, where would you least like to be? It probably falls into the red zone. And then the amber is kind of your more middling paddocks, maybe that um, you can get into. But again, you don't want to spend a lot of time going through them. So maybe these paddocks down here on this farm are a little bit further away and maybe bigger paddocks as well. So I want to hit this with numbers of cows that you're not going to be going in and out too often. Whereas if you hit it with a smaller group of cows, you could be going in and out quite a lot and that obviously increases the risk of damage. So that's pretty much it for today. I suppose that if there's any questions, I'll take them. I suppose just to summarise where we're, what I'm coming at. So in terms of the grazing strategy, as I said, take out the map over the next number of days. Identify paddocks that you know on your farm are suitable for grazing or can, can lend themselves, I suppose, to grazing in the spring in terms of infrastructure in particular, or maybe... Um, even just even looking at the paddocks, maybe there's uh, when you decide that there are paddocks that are good in terms of ground conditions and so forth, is there something you could do in terms of infrastructure over the next number of months to help improve it? So that could be just gap handles, increasing the number of gaps going into paddocks, or potentially as well, given I know costs have increased significantly between diesel feed and fertilizer all going up, um, but milk price has been good this year, and okay, the month of October now people will be getting. Um, maybe frights in relation to preliminary tax bills and so forth. So a bit of planning around that and maybe future proof in the business in relation to spur roads and so forth. A little bit of spending on that is, is going to be a tax deductible expense and could help to mitigate against more tricky springs in the future. Uh, so we would be wise spending. Um, so take out the farm map, pick the paddocks that are going to be suitable to graze in February and set out a, a plan to try and prepare those by grazing those in the second half of October. Uh, and then the, the rest will kind of, I suppose, fall into place. I suppose that you plan to graze the other ones, obviously, before, uh, from the 1st of October on or early October on. And then the latter part, will say, is going to be stretched over a period in the month of November. And probably there is a potential that some of these grass may not be grazed because uh, farm cover might drop too far. That's something, again, look, we'll, talk, we'll be talking about again in, in due course. And finally, I suppose, just on the fertilizer piece, um, 
just to be conscious that we need to be, we're going to have to, there's no doubt about it that that consultation document from the department is going to deliver reduced nitrogen rates on farms from the 1st of January. I think there, regardless of what arguments are going to be put up, there's going to be a reduction. It's part of the farm to fork strategy. It's part of the European Green Deal that there's going to be a reduction in chemical nitrogen applied on farms. And the, um, the, we need to start living with less nitrogen or prepared, be prepared to live with less nitrogen. And as I said, people have done that through the summer, going with the unit a day type scenario. Don't think we should really be getting worried about moving too far away from that over the course of the, the, um, the back end. Okay, so uh, just, just to be conscious of it, uh, just point in there from Kevin Kelleher, who says that he's using sweet grass, which is nitrogen with sodium in the last rotation, finds that it improves clean out. Just worth thinking about. So it's a fair point, Kevin. I suppose it's salt on the basis that it does obviously help, and it, especially on farms that would be using a lot of slurry is is the rationale for promoting that product. And it's uh, look, that's your if uh, if that's what your thanks for pointing it out. I suppose if it's any of benefit to people to consider, uh, it's it's worth considering. Okay. So um, as I said, we'll leave it at that, and we'll be back again next week, and we'll talk to you at ten o'clock next week. And in the meantime. Uh, stay safe and have happy farming so thanks to everyone for tuning in today and we'll see you again next week take care in the meantime thank you that's all for this week's let's talk dairy webinar series and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week i'm emma louise coffee and thanks for listening